Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with today's top stories. Italy blocks male migrants from disembarking rescue ships. Russia's Wagner Group founder admits to U.S. election interference. A Tanzania plane crash kills 19. Kiev urges residents to consider evacuating. The United Kingdom faces a 50 billion pound fiscal hole. Biden and Trump make their final campaigning pushes. A Wall Street Journal poll says the GOP are gaining traction with black and Latino voters. Elon Musk lays out Twitter's new mission. The U.S. economy added more jobs than expected in October. The U.N. issues climate warnings as COP27 begins. And lab-grown red blood cells are transfused into patients in a new United Kingdom trial. Our top story comes from Italy as 35 migrants are blocked from leaving a rescue ship. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Financial Times, Al Jazeera, The Associated Press, Daily Mail, and France 24. Italy's new right-wing government has prevented 35 asylum seekers picked up in the Mediterranean from disembarking from a rescue ship. Rome says the people, most of whom entered Italian waters via Libya, aren't entitled to asylum. This comes as, on Saturday, Italy granted the Humanity One ship, operated by the German non-governmental organization SOS Humanity, access to the port of Catania in Sicily, but only 144 children, women, and other so-called vulnerable persons in need of medical assistance were allowed to disembark. The German charity criticized the Italian government for what it deemed selective disembarkation, arguing that everybody on board was rescued at sea, which would give them a right to safe haven under international law. On Sunday, a second charity vessel operated by Doctors Without Borders arrived in Catania, Of the 572 people on board, 357 were allowed to disembark, while 215 had to remain on board. Meanwhile, two other NGO-operated ships are said to still be at sea with no port willing to receive those on board. While humanitarian groups and two Italian lawmakers allege that Rome's actions are illegal and inhumane, the new Italian government insists that the countries whose flags the charity-operated ships fly must take in the migrants. Claiming that the charities promote human smuggling, the infrastructure minister in Giorgio Maloney's new government, Matteo Salvini, welcomed the new directive signed by him and the Italian's defense and interior minister. Italy, Salvini said, refuses to be held hostage to these foreign and private NGOs. Thank you, Scott. Those were the facts. And during this podcast, we separate the facts from the spins. And for this story, we're going to begin with a left narrative, and it's courtesy of ABC News. The attitude toward refugees in need highlights the new Italian government's racist and xenophobic nature. This is also underscored by Maloney's call for a, quote, sea blockade against people seeking protection and a better life. Added to this are scandalous earlier statements by the neo-fascists about the, quote, ethnic substitution of the Italian population by migrants. Rome's populist feeding of fears contradicts European values and must not be tolerated within the EU. Atlantic Sentinel gives us the right narrative. The Maloney government is finally standing up for Italy and has proposed a long-term solution to the migration crisis that actually makes sense. 
establish European asylum application centers in North Africa to deter illegal crossings in the first place. But until this can be done, other EU countries must step up. As a main port of entry, Italy is one of the EU countries that receives the most migrants, including from safe African countries, as the result of people smuggling. This is no longer sustainable or fair. And standard media gives us an establishment critical narrative. While all eyes are now on Italy, the West, with its neocolonial policies and imperial logic, is itself responsible for the ongoing migration and refugee crisis and the rise of populist and right-wing governments in Europe, such as that of Georgia Maloney in Italy. It must not be ignored that, ultimately, it was NATO's humanitarian intervention that destroyed Libya and opened Pandora's box. It always fascinates me, like marine law, how if you just take a boat 10 miles off the coast, all laws are off. The right. captain is the, is, the, is the president and all these things. I mean, Absolutely. Like, like what they were saying, are these people technically rescued at sea? Uh, or or not, and and you could kind of see an argument either way. It's kind of weird. It really is. Yeah, like it is. Purga- it's like, it's like purgatory. Yeah, kind of like yeah. that movie, uh, the the terminal where Tom Hanks gets caught between right. two countries. <laughs> two in countries. The yeah. In our next story, Russia's Wagner Group founder admits to U.S. election interference. And here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, CBS, and Fox News. Kremlin-linked businessman Yevgeny Prigozhin, who admitted to founding the private force Wagner Group in September, appeared to confess on Monday that Russia is interfering in U.S. elections ahead of Tuesday's vote, saying, quote, we interfered, we interfere, and we will interfere. His remarks, which haven't been verified, came despite U.S. government cyber agencies stating that they've largely neutralized alleged interfering Russian troll farms and major social media platforms after becoming more vigilant about policing suspicious content. Russia's state-owned news agency RIA Novosti claimed that his comments were ironic, but researchers have reportedly detected a new Russian campaign to influence the midterm elections allegedly targeting Democrat candidates in the most heated races. While affecting the overall outcome of a midterm congressional election is much more complicated than a head-to-head presidential race, individual congressional races can be prone to foreign interference. Prigozhin is allegedly the financial backer behind a so-called Russian troll farm, formerly known as Internet Research Agency, which supposedly spreads misinformation and incendiary speech on social media to affect voters and so discord. Though he had denied involvement in election interference until now, Prigozhin was indicted in 2018 as part of a special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian election interference and is on the FBI's most wanted list for allegedly meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have a Democratic narrative on this story from The New York Times. Russia has launched a new disinformation campaign days ahead of the midterm elections, denigrating Biden and Democrats in close races to fuel anger among conservative voters. The Kremlin is doing all it can to ensure a Republican majority in the House and Senate, as this could limit U.S. support to Ukraine and help Russia's war effort. And we counter that with a Republican narrative coming from New York Post. While the Kremlin has long resorted to election interference, with intelligence showing that it has targeted Americans in every election since 2016, Moscow knows it doesn't have the power to elect a specific party. When media outlets claim that there's a connection between Putin and the GOP, 
They're only helping Russia to aggravate polarization among Americans and build distrust in the U.S. We have a cynical narrative on this story from Politico. Though Russia has carried out several activities to interfere in U.S. elections, Kremlin-backed operatives have lost their prominence in promoting discord and dividing American public opinion. Over the past four years, it's U.S. domestic actors, such as social media influencers, elected officials, and media outlets that have become the main spreaders of election-related disinformation. And the nerds are piping in with their narrative, saying that there's a 60% chance that the Republican Party will control both the House and the Senate after the 2022 midterm elections. And that's coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. Tragedy in Tanzania as a plane crash leaves 19 dead. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Business Insider, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, Daily Mail, and CNN. On Sunday, at least 19 people died when a Precision Air Flight, Tanzania's largest privately owned airline, crashed into Lake Victoria, reportedly due to storms and heavy rains. The plane carrying 43 people was attempting to land at a nearby airport in the lakeside town of Bukoba. The flight took off from Tanzania's commercial capital, Dar el Salaam. The airline had initially reported 26 survivors, but later revised the number to 24. A funeral service was held in Bukoba on Monday. The ATR-42 airplane, manufactured by French-Italian firm ATR, was carrying 39 passengers, two pilots, and two cabin crew. Precision Air, founded in 1993, is partly owned by Kenyan Airways and operates domestic, regional, and private charters to tourist areas like Serengeti National Park. Family members awaiting passengers witnessed the crash, after which fishermen were reportedly first to arrive on scene to help survivors escape through a rear door. Emergency workers, with the help of locals, also attempted to lift the plane out of the water via cranes and ropes. Kagera's police province commander said, When the aircraft was about 100 meters, or 328 feet midair, it encountered problems and bad weather before plunging into Africa's largest lake. The crash comes five years after 11 people, two Americans, two Germans, six Tanzanians, and a South African pilot died in a plane that crashed in the country's Ngorongoro National Park. Scott, thank you for the facts. We have a couple of spins that have emerged beginning with an establishment-critical narrative coming from Citizen. This is the third deadly plane crash in Tanzania since 1999, and it's time for the government to consider reconfiguring its emergency response protocol for such events. With Tanzanians' justified anger over Sunday's forced improvised rescue effort, improvements in both the public and private sectors must be made. And we have a pro-establishment narrative from Tanzania Times. This tragedy was the result of unfortunate bad weather. Thankfully, the veteran pilot correctly chose to crash in the lake, most likely saving more lives than if he had crashed on land. The airline will now conduct a thorough investigation to prevent a repeat of this incident, and the rescue efforts that saved many lives should be commended. Turning our attention to day 257 of the conflict in Ukraine as Kyiv mayor urges residents to consider evacuations and Zelensky accuses Iran of prolonging the war. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Pravda, President Zelensky's official website, Ukraine Forum, and Reuters. Amid rolling blackouts in Kyiv and at least six other regions of Ukraine on Sunday, the city's mayor, Vitaly Klitschko, urged residents to consider the prospect of evacuating the capital if the power situation deteriorates. 
Klitschko said authorities were preparing to deploy an estimated 1,000 warming centers across Kyiv, but warned they'd be insufficient for a population of 3 million if the city faced a total blackout. He said, quote, So I'm also asking people in a bad scenario, if we don't have electricity or water, and if you have relatives or friends in the suburbs of Kyiv who have a separate water supply, a stove, and heating, plan to stay there temporarily. Please make arrangements so that in the event of a bad scenario, you can stay with your friends or acquaintances for a while. Meanwhile, following an admission from Iran that it had supplied Russia with drones, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky conducted a call with the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Sunday. Zelensky stressed the need for increasing pressure on Tehran. Its complicity in Russian terror must be punished, Zelensky said. The whole world will know that the Iran regime helps Russia prolong this war, and therefore prolong the effect of those threats to the world provoked precisely by the Russian war. If it was not for the Iranian supply of weapons to the aggressor, we would be closer to peace now. On the ground, with the brunt of fighting in Donetsk and a major battle expected in Kherson, Russian airstrikes were recorded in Ukrainian-controlled areas of the southern region. One civilian was reportedly injured. And Ukrainian officials stated one Russian fighter jet was shot down in the attack. Russian attacks were also recorded in the regions of Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia, where one civilian was reported killed. Ukrainian officials reported that one civilian was killed and five others were injured in Russian attacks in Donetsk in the last 24 hours. And pro-Russia officials from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, reported that one civilian was killed and three more were injured in Ukrainian attacks. Elsewhere, the Kremlin on Monday declined to comment on a Wall Street Journal report that top U.S. officials held undisclosed talks with Russian counterparts about avoiding further escalation in Ukraine. It follows an earlier Washington Post report that Biden administration officials have privately encouraged Ukraine's leadership to soften their stance on peace talks with Russia. The Associated Press brings us the pro-establishment narrative. As Russia continues to attack Ukraine's energy infrastructure, many parts of the country, including Kyiv, will be forced to prepare for a winter with no heat, water, or power. The only good news is that the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was reconnected to Ukraine's power grid, as local media reported Sunday. Energy security is a concerning dimension of Ukraine's deepening humanitarian crisis. And TASS gives us a pro-Russian narrative. According to reports, U.S. and NATO officials have approved Kyiv's counteroffensive push in Kherson, instilling in Ukrainian leadership that peace talks from a position of strength would be possible if it retakes the strategically important area. Any news of possible negotiations must take this context into account. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 2% chance that Putin and Zelensky will meet to discuss the peaceful resolution of the Russian-Ukraine conflict before 2023. The United Kingdom faces a 50 billion pound fiscal hole, government sources say. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Surrey Live, Energy Voice, Newsbud and The Guardian. On Monday, two U.K. government sources revealed that Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt seeks to fill a 50 billion pound or 57 billion U.S. dollar fiscal hole in the country's finances amid an upcoming November fiscal statement. Sources from the Treasury claim that Hunt's draft proposal contains around 35 billion pounds in public spending cuts and 25 billion pounds in tax rises. Meanwhile, Cabinet Office Minister Oliver Dowden has acknowledged that there would be difficult decisions on both tax and spending. 
Business Minister Grant Shapps has also commented that details will be revealed very shortly concerning reports that the energy profits levy, known as the windfall tax, will be raised from 25% to 30%. There are also questions surrounding whether the government will continue with its triple-lock pension promise, where state pensions annually must rise by the largest figure out of inflation, average earning rises, or 2.5%. This comes as the Bank of England predicted last week that increasing interest rates would push the UK into the longest recession since the 1930s. The government's economic plan was delayed from October 31st to November 17th, with Hunt accounting that it will now include a full fiscal statement, expanding its scope to include longer-term plans for the UK's economy. Those are the facts, and we have three spins emerging from this story, beginning with a right narrative coming from The Spectator. There's no such thing as free money, and the United Kingdom cannot borrow forever. The reality is that Hunt has been tasked with having to find tens of billions of pounds. While the likes of increasing the windfall tax may sweeten the upcoming statement for some, it's clear that there are no pain-free options on the table as the UK finds itself with no other choice but to enter austerity. And the left narrative comes from the Daily Mirror. Cutting spending and raising taxes will only sharpen Britain's economic pain and benefit the rich the most. In what would be economic suicide, it's clear that the Tories intend to repeat the same pattern that occurred in 2010, where the wealthy survive and those on the middle and lower incomes face the brunt of conservative policies. And a nerd narrative says there's an 85% chance that the United Kingdom will have a labor government before June of 2030, according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Turning our attention to the U.S. midterms as Biden and Trump make final appeals. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, BBC News, Reuters, Financial Times, Associated Press, and Guardian. President Joe Biden and his predecessor Donald Trump are firing up their respective political bases as Biden is holding rallies in Maryland and Trump rallies in Ohio. Biden has already held a rally in New York and Trump in Florida to help cement support for Democratic and Republican candidates, respectively. Polling suggests that Republicans are to likely take the lower chamber, but the Senate is still a toss-up between the main political parties. During their campaign, the GOP have strongly criticized Biden and the Democrats over high inflation and increased crime in the wake of the COVID pandemic. In contrast, Biden has claimed that many Republican candidates are threatening American democracy by echoing Trump's claims that the 2020 election was, quote, stolen. Former President Barack Obama, who has spent the last week traveling across the country to support Democratic Senate candidates, arrived in Pittsburgh on Saturday to promote John Fetterman. The Senate hopeful, who is also Pennsylvania's lieutenant governor, faces a close-fought race in the key state against GOP candidate Mehmet Oz. While in Pittsburgh, Obama told Democratic voters that sulking and moping is not an option, saying, let's make sure our country doesn't get set back 50 years. The loss of control in either governmental chamber could pose a setback for the future of Biden's legislative agenda and mean the likely return of crippling political division in the U.S. This sure is a political story, and we sure do have two political narratives. The Republican narrative comes from Breitbart. With Republicans showing gains in the polls nationwide, Democrats have been reduced to sending a desperately unpopular party leader to campaign for incumbent Democrats. Even in the supposedly safe blue state of Southern California, 
Representative Mike Levin faces a potential loss due to his party's woke social policies and economic agenda. This referendum on Biden's presidency will reflect a record of failure. And CNN is providing a Democratic narrative. In a set of elections with so many too-close-to-call races, Biden has focused strategically on retaining and sparking enthusiasm in typically Democrat-supported districts. Democratic campaigning has also highlighted those GOP election deniers who are continuing to make baseless claims about the 2020 presidential results by putting forward such candidates. The Republicans are sabotaging their own chances. Yeah, Scott, you're in Pennsylvania. What does it look like on the ground there? Uh, Well, I would say over the past 48 hours, at least four people have knocked on my door uh, making sure that I'm going to vote. And I've gotten at least pff, at least eight or more calls. I've stopped answering my phone. I just keep getting called with some campaign for this or that. It's uh, it's it's really hot and heavy. Must be nice to feel wanted, Scott. And in more U.S. midterms news, a Wall Street Journal poll says the GOP is gaining with Black and Latino voters. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Maine Wire, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal. Support for GOP candidates among African-American and Latino voters is growing, according to polling analysis released by The Wall Street Journal on Monday. Republicans have the support of 17 percent of black voters polled, up from just 8 percent in 2018. The Democrats' lead among Latinos has also shrunk to five points today, down from 31 percent four years ago. The WSJ also noted that Latino voters have demonstrated higher degrees of concern over inflation and developments in the U.S. economy, with some stating that the GOP is more supportive of their desire for economic advancement. Although the reported shift towards supporting the GOP among black Americans is more incremental than among Latino voters, this still marks a notable development. Democrats have historically relied on black voters as a dependable voting demographic. The poll detailed how differing educational levels within demographics also reflected a split in political views and voting habits. 61% of sampled Latinos with a four-year college degree substantially favored a Democratic over a Republican candidate, while the GOP led or were at parity among Latinos with less formal education. Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, the GOP House Minority Leader, said last week that he's confident that Republicans will retake control of the House of Representatives, saying, The one thing you always have to remember is majorities are not given, they are earned. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin with a Republican narrative coming from Breitbart. This is the latest indication that Republicans will make significant gains in the 2022 midterms. Democrats have been taking the support of their key voting bases for granted, and blacks and Latinos, as well as women, are leaving the party. The GOP's tough-on-crime stance and its fiscal responsibility is helping solidify support among traditional Democratic voters. And the Democratic narrative comes from The Atlantic. The Democratic emphasis on identity and inclusion, the very thing that breathed life into the party two decades ago in the face of Republican control, is today making it more popular with white voters than Hispanic ones. These minority demographics are being taken for granted, but that doesn't mean the Republicans are the right people to represent them or offer them a seat at the table. The Democrats must reinvigorate themselves as the party of social justice for a modern America to ensure that blue waves will come in this and future elections. Washington Post gives us a cynical narrative for this story. While polls tend to get a 
While polls tend to get a bit more accurate closer to Election Day, only 6-7% to of people pick up the phone when a pollster calls. Polls are an indispensable tool, but they have issues predicting who will actually vote. And they were blind to large sectors of former President Trump's base in 2020. While polls are staples of our political analysis diet, they need to be seasoned with more than a grain of salt. And the nerd narrative, there's a 50% chance that at least 41.7% of Hispanic voters will vote Republican in 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Elon Musk in the news again as he lays out the Twitter mission amid platform changes. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Business Insider, BBC News, Al Jazeera, Independent, and CNBC. On Sunday, Twitter's new CEO, Elon Musk, continued to discuss upcoming changes to the social media giant, stating, quote, Twitter needs to become by far the most accurate source of information about the world. That's our mission. His remarks caused speculation and debate online in light of Twitter's recent changes. Musk, who earlier suggested that Twitter would become a news source, quote, without regard to political affiliation, clarified later that accuracy would be based upon the community notes feature on the app, which allows Twitter to add context to posts considered misleading. Musk also revealed that Twitter handles engaging in impersonation without explicitly specifying themselves as a parody account will now be permanently suspended. This is a change from Twitter's previous rules, where accounts would be warned before suspension. His decision comes after many accounts changed their name to, quote, Elon Musk in protest of his changes to the platform. Since finalizing his $44 billion purchase of Twitter last month, Musk has laid off approximately half of its 7,500 employees and established a $7.99 pay-for-verification plan for Twitter's blue checkmark badge. The paid verification system, which will allow accounts to keep their blue checkmark, has faced backlash from users. Its rollout is being delayed until after the U.S. midterm elections today. Updates to Twitter have been listed as available for users to download in the U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K., and New Zealand. Despite this, Director of Product Management Esther Crawford said, quote, The new blue isn't live yet, but a small early group may see updates to the platform. The Last Refuge brings us the right narrative spin on this story. The mainstream media and U.S. government interests have been histrionic since Musk took over Twitter and started implementing changes. They fear that anyone will now have the right to speak on the platform without being censored or controlled, and skeptics of established norms will finally be able to openly pose questions. Musk's new Twitter is destroying the Orwellian foundations that the company stood on for years. Andy Left Narrative coming from CNN. A rise in hate speech that has emerged since Musk's acquisition of the platform shows how dangerous this situation is. For many, the answer is, quote, holding the line and resisting inside this increasingly toxic digital public square. For others, it's better to leave Twitter now and find a safer place. We've got another statistics-based nerd narrative on this story. This one says that there's a 4% chance that Elon Musk will hold a major political office in the U.S. before February of 2033, according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Scott, are you going to pay the $7.99 to keep your blue check mark? If I had a blue check mark, I would consider it. <laughs> the U.S. economy adds 261,000 jobs in October. 
Here are the facts, as agreed upon by CBS News, The Wall Street Journal, Guardian, New York Times, and Newsweek. Exceeding the approximately 200,000 jobs predicted by economists, the U.S. Labor Department on Friday announced that the U.S. economy added 261,000 jobs in October, though the unemployment rate jumped from 3.5% in September to 3.7% last month. The average monthly growth rate of 289,000 over the last three months is lower than the average of 539,000 during the same period the previous year, but higher than the pre-pandemic average of 164,000 per month in 2019. ADP, the U.S.'s largest payroll processing firm, reported Wednesday that private employers added 239,000 jobs, up from 192,000 in September. However, it noted that job growth was not widespread, with the leisure and hospitality sector accounting for 210,000 jobs created. Average hourly earnings also continued to rise in October, climbing 0.4% from September and 4.7% on the year, though slightly down from 5% on the year in September. Despite this, pay increases are reportedly not keeping pace with inflation, which rose 8.2% on the year through September. Friday's report showed a sharp decline in hiring for industries directly affected by the Federal Reserve's interest rates, with construction dropping from 22,000 in September to 1,000 in October. Warehousing and transportation job growth have also flatlined as consumers shift their spending from goods to services. In October, unemployment reportedly rose mostly for adult women and white Americans, while flatlining for other racial groups and adult men. The news comes as Democrats worry that the softening labor market could hurt them in the November 8th midterms. A recent Gallup poll showed 49% of Americans believe the economy is an extremely important issue. Let's shed some light on the spins that have emerged from this story, beginning with a Democratic narrative coming from Washington Post. Though it may seem counterintuitive, the slowdown in job growth from last year, while the market remains strong, means the Fed's interest rates are working. Though the economic recovery is slow, it's heading in the right direction under Biden's leadership. And Republicans don't seem to have any plausible alternatives if they were to win the midterms. And the Washington Examiner gives us the Republican narrative. While this report may seem optimistic on the surface, the reality is far from this. Slowing job growth combined with record inflation and rising unemployment signals that a Biden-induced recession is on the horizon. The so-called positives of this job report won't be enough to carry Democrats through the final stretch of the campaign trail. And for a nerd narrative, they say there's a 73 percent chance that the U.S. will enter a recession by January of 2024, according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. A special U.N. report describes climate chaos as COP27 begins. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Guardian, Associated Press, BBC News, France 24, and Newsbud. On Sunday, the first day of COP27, the UN's weather and climate body, the World Meteorological Organization, or WMO, released its annual report. The WMO declared that the past eight years are on track to be the hottest ever recorded. The report indicated that the globe is struggling with the climate crisis and that the previously agreed plus 1.5 degrees Celsius limit on global warming is now barely within reach. The report detailed the year's extreme weather events from Puerto Rico to Pakistan. In a statement Sunday, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned that the world was sending a, quote, distress signal 
He said that the WMO report was a chronicle of climate chaos. COP27 President Egyptian Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri urged world leaders not to let food and energy crisis stemming from the Ukraine war delay climate action. The report found that greenhouse gases are all at record levels, with methane showing the highest one-year jump ever recorded. Mike Meredith, science leader at the British Antarctic Survey, said, The message in this report could barely be bleaker. In last year's COP26 in Glasgow, the world community committed to phase down the use of coal, stop deforestation by 2030, and submit new climate action plans to the UN. Last year's COP26 lauded nations' commitments to keeping temperatures at plus 1.5 degrees Celsius over baseline, but admitted the pulse is weak. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Atlantic Council. Much is at stake in Sharm el-Sheikh. The WMO report shows climate impacts are causing global suffering on a rampant scale, and the expectation is that all countries will increase their ambitions to stay below the plus 1.5 degrees Celsius mark. COP27 must showcase a commitment to a $100 billion goal and agree on a robust climate finance arrangement for the future. An establishment critical narrative comes from climate champions. We are in the middle of an interlinked climate, energy, nature, and food crisis. Despite small glimmers of progress, the world is still nowhere near the scale and pace of climate action needed to secure a net zero and resilient world by 2050. National governments must radically and rapidly strengthen their climate actions before 2030. This new report shows how behind the eight ball we are. And we have an alternative narrative C on this story. Brought to us by Forbes. While climate change is an urgent issue, journalists and activists have an obligation to separate the facts from fiction and describe environmental problems honestly and accurately. The catastrophic framing of climate change does far more harm than good, not only by impacting the mental health of our youth, but by alienating and polarizing large portions of the population and distracting from other important issues. Climate alarmism must be taken with a grain of salt. And finally, a nerd narrative on this story says there's an 85% chance there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100, according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Our final story is a scientific one as a UK trial of lab-grown red blood cells begins. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Guardian, Independent, Daily Mirror, and Daily Mail. A UK research project conducted by teams from Bristol, Cambridge, London, and NHS Blood and Transplant has begun transfusing lab-made red blood cells in humans, the world's first ever such clinical trial. The blood is manufactured from donated adult stem cells that are placed in a nutrient solution for 18 to 21 days, which encourages them to multiply and develop into mature cells. About 24 liters of the solution is needed to manufacture one to two tablespoons of red blood cells. The lab-grown cells will be compared to standard cells from the same donors, with doctors expecting the former to last longer. If successful, patients who regularly need blood won't require transfusions as often. The reason for this expectation is that blood donations usually contain a mix of old and new red blood cells, which have a lifespan of around 120 days. As the manufactured cells are all freshly made, they should, in theory, last the full 120 days. 
Stem cell-based transfusions could also become a lifeline for patients with advanced cancer or sickle cell disease who currently require blood from multiple donors, which risks a negative reaction to one of them and subsequent intolerance to all the blood from that group. The next phase of the study will consist of giving 10 people two separate transfusions four months apart, one from a standard blood donation and one from the lab-grown cells. We have two final spins of this podcast coming from this story, beginning with Narrative A, being provided by Inside Science. Positive news in the field of rare diseases should always be celebrated, but we shouldn't ignore the proven risks that come along with these types of trials. Though not always, the pursuit of artificial blood has led to increased heart attacks, and extra caution should be taken when dealing with such sensitive and unknown medical practices. Narrative B comes from The Telegraph. Though further research is needed, this study should bring hope to patients who have long dealt with multiple annual transfusions. This is also groundbreaking work in the pursuit of better treatment for those with rare blood types and diseases. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, November 8, 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. If you'd like more information on Improve the News, visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.